deep love for the people that she served. And so just in honor of her and other missionaries, we give for his work. And what we normally do, we'll do this in the service. After we do our normal closing, the praise band is going to close us out with a song of celebration, of worship. And that'll be a time for you who want to, to bring up an offering as a time of celebration to put in the manger um, to express our love to go out to this world that needs his love. So just encourage you to continue to worship with us. Uh, selected scriptures this morning. But for a scripture reading, I ask that you stand in God's honor as I read from Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married with him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. God, we live in a world where often there's not room for Jesus. But thank you that because of Jesus, there's always room for us with you. And Father, I thank you for this opportunity to worship and praise you this morning. And we just want to continue on in worship and praise so, Holy Spirit, we continue to invite you to speak to our hearts. And, Lord, we just want to hear what you have to say. Thank you for speaking so far in this service. And I just ask that you help me not quench what you may want to say, Lord, and what remains. We give it to you, our Savior. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Eight-year-old little girl came home, and she was so excited because she had her Christmas picture that she had drawn at school. And she said to her mom, she said, Mommy, my teacher said that I have the most unusual picture that she has ever seen. Mom grabbed the piece of paper, she studied the picture, and she said, Why have you made them all ride in an airplane, honey? And she responded, well, that's because they took their flight to Egypt. <laughs> she had a little bit of disappointment on her face because she thought surely mom should understand this. And she said, well, who's the mean-looking man in front of the plane? I said, oh, mom, don't you know anything? That's Pontius the pilot. <laughs> and then she saw Mary and Jesus. She said, oh, I've seen Mary and Jesus. Uh, Mary and baby Jesus and Joseph, but, but who's that uh, overweight guy sitting behind Mary? She goes, Mom, that's round John Virgin. <laughs> you know, it's interesting from a perspective of a child, what is Christmas? And this morning, I want to look at the perspective of God, our Heavenly Father, how He sees Christmas. And, and we're going to look at that in three sections of, of Scripture. 
and then close out in that third part with the Father's gift that is in our outline. Uh, it's interesting that the word Bethlehem, that is such a blessing to us at Christmas, is connected to another word. It, it's an English word that comes is derived from that word, and it is the word Bedlam. It comes from the 1500s in London, where there was a monastery, St. Mary's of Bethlehem, that was converted into a hospital and then eventually became the insane asylum in London. Tragically, uh, it also became a famous tourist attraction in London in the 1500s, where people would actually come and heckle the people who were mentally ill in the hospital. And so from that, St. Mary's of Bethlehem, it became known as Bedlam. And today at Christmas, there is Bedlam. There's broken people all around us. There's people who are lonely. There, there's people who feel unloved. People who feel like they don't matter. People who don't understand the real meaning of Christmas. What Christmas ultimately really is. And it's more than an airplane flight with a grumpy pilot and an overweight companion. It's about our Lord who came out of love for us. I just thought of a few verses I want to share with you that comes out of the scripture. One famous one that we Baptists have quoted for years. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death. Uh-oh, that's a problem. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift. This is a time it's all about gifts. But the scripture here tells us that although there is a problem, there is a wage that none of us want to collect. But praise be to God, there is a gift that's offered to us from the Father. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, the scripture says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. That is, that is our God. He's compassionate. He wants to provide comfort to those who are hurting. Um, to the church at Colossae, the scriptures written in Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thanks to the one who gives. He is a God who gives. In Ephesus, we find these words to the, in the book of Ephesians. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Think about it, guys. If there's a spiritual blessing that is out there, one that God the Father has created, a gift that he wants to give to you, it is yours in Jesus Christ. That's Christmas. The gifts of God, the promises of God are ours because of the Son of God. He promises forgiveness. He promises family that will be there for us. And then one more. In the book of James, he tells us every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. So if it's good, if it blesses you, give God the glory. Give him the credit. 
It is from Him. And He is trustworthy. We can lean on Him. There's another verse in John that I love too. It's John uh, chapter 1, verse 17. And it says, From the fullness of His grace. I just love that. From the fullness of His grace, we have received one blessing after another. In other words, He doesn't give us an occasional drip drop. It's a flood of grace. A downpour. He drenches us with grace and forgiveness and His promises. Uh, 2 Corinthians one twenty coming down and I won't keep thinking of more as it comes out. He says, hey, every promise that God has given us, the answer is yes in Jesus Christ. And, and so I love that. God is not a no God. God is a yes God through his promises. So let's look at his perspective. I want to look at uh, three separate accounts here. The first one in Luke 2, uh, in verse 8, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Shepherds were some of the lowest of the low as far as people of prominence in that society. Man, they couldn't worship in the temple because they were not clean. They were exposed to blood and they were exposed to dirt and other elements that and they couldn't wash their hands with the purified water. They couldn't follow the rituals. And they had to work seven hours a day anyway. Sheep don't know that it's Saturday and time to go to, to the temple. They don't know that. So they had to hang out with them. So they were looked at as those who were really kind of out of favor with God. Because they can't do what they're supposed to do to make God happy. That, that was the view in regard to shepherds. And what was their job? It was a job of watching the lambs, the sheep. And, and in that area around Jerusalem, it was known, it was a decree according to the Jewish code, the Jewish law out of the Mishnah, that all of those lambs in that area at any moment may be needed for the time of sacrifice. So they were sacrificial lambs. So think about this. The shepherds whose job was to watch over the lambs who would eventually be sacrificed for the sins of the people, they would be the first. They weren't really allowed to show up at the temple, but they would be the audience to first see the Lamb of God, the child of God, the Son of God, the hope of creation, the Savior of the world. Man, what a promise. Let's go on our text in uh, 10 through 14. I'm just going to read through that. We all know this so well, but what a great section of Scripture. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. It was a time of worship. It was a time to make known that the Lamb of God has come. The Savior is here. They had something to celebrate. And guys, so do we. He came for us. 
because there was no other way to receive what we need but Jesus. Secondly, the satisfaction in the Father's affirmation of the Son. Turn over with me to Luke chapter 3. This is the setting of Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. I'll read to you, this is from uh, verses 21 and 22 on the... Here, wait just a second here. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Man, this, this is a magnificent scene here. Here is Jesus. He is part of the ministry of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's ministry was to prepare the way. It was to, man, he, he was the fiery guy. And he'd say, you need to get your lives in order. You need to repent of your sin. You need to be ready to meet the Messiah because he's on the way. And John did not pull any punches. And so people would come and, and they were baptized. It was a baptism of repentance. It was a way of declaring to everyone who was watching, my life belongs to the Lord. And I will not walk a path of sin, but I want my life to be ready when the Messiah appears. And so they were baptized. But Jesus didn't need to repent of anything because Jesus had no sin. So why was he baptized? Because he wanted to identify with us. He's not a God that is aloof, that's far away, that, oh, I don't care about them. Man, he's a God who has come near. That's what Christmas is about. God came to us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He showed up on the scene, taking the form of one of us. And yet he's far more <laughs> than we are. He is God himself. And I want you to notice something in this account. Pretty amazing. Uh, well, to begin with, uh, we know that we started his ministry. He was 30 years old. 30 is kind of a pretty significant age. You had Joseph, who went through the life of hard knocks, but at 30 years of age, he rose to be the most powerful one, second in command, but even that's questionable from what I read. <laughs> Looks like he's really, up, you know, the guy. At 30 years old, he took over, and God would spare his people through a plan that Joseph could not understand or see through those years of struggle and, and suffering. And then there's David. You know, he was on the run, too, for a number of years. But at the age of 30, he would finally be anointed as king and start his rule in his remaining days. And now we have Jesus at the age of 30. He's standing in the water. He is about to be baptized and that was a message of my ministry has begun. What I have come for now will be carried out in what follows. And we know that that will ultimately lead to the cross. And, and think about it. The Trinity, God, three in one, was involved in all of this. You had Jesus Christ, God the Son. He's standing in the water. You could touch him. John could touch him right there. Touch God. And then you had God the Spirit. 
descending from the sky in the form of a dove. So you could touch God. You could see God. And, and then you could hear God the Father as he said, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. So, so you had the Trinity. You were able to touch God. You, you were able to see God. You were able to hear from God. And you say, well, preacher, how do you explain that? Three in one. Give to me an example of that I can make sense out of the Trinity. How God, who's one God, could, could be in three places at, at one time and show himself all as one. And, and hey, listen, I'm not that smart. My declaration is not that I can explain everything to you in detail about God because I'm telling you right now, I can't and thank the Lord that I don't have to know everything to receive Him and to know Him in His fullness and to celebrate Him as we long to do today to worship our Lord. And then finally, this third account from John chapter 3, uh, verse that Many of us who have been a part of church for years know by heart in the old King James, especially John three sixteen. If you happen to know it, uh, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What a message. This is the message of Christmas the gospel in a nugget. The gospel in summary. Powerful words. And I want to take the rest of this time, this service, and, and just break down from the outline that you see on the screen. Just a few minutes for each one. He starts out, he says, for God. God is the greatest giver. Christmas did not start out of the mind of man. Christmas is far more than just a time for retail business to make a bunch of money and to be able to sell stuff. Christmas started with God. Christmas flows from the heart of God. And Christmas shows us the great generosity of God. For God. Secondly, the maximum degree of that love. For God so loved the world. Uh, this word in the Greek is the word cosmos. It is a word used 186 times in the New Testament, and it is always connected to a sinful connotation. I love it in the scriptures where it says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't step in to reach out to us once we cleaned up our act. He came to us while we were sinners. A couple of verses above that, it says, while we were still powerless, God stepped in. And, and he moved to provide forgiveness to us. There's a story of F.B. Meyer, a, a great preacher of old, and his son came up and jumped in his lap one night while he was studying for, you know, working toward a sermon for Sunday. His son jumped in his lap and he said, Daddy, I love you a hundred pounds. Well, that was the biggest weight he could think of was a hundred pounds, you know. So he thought for a moment, and he said, Daddy, I love you like a hundred miles. That's the greatest distance this little boy could think of, perceive. But that wasn't quite enough. 
So finally, he, he, he put a hand on each side of his father's face. <laughs> he looked him square in the eyes. And he said, Daddy, I love you so much. The love of God is beyond our comprehension. It's more than we can fully grasp. And praise be to God like that wonderful song Amazing Grace says, when we've been there 10,000 years. Man, we're still, we're still going to be praising Him. We're still going to be feasting and worshiping on the depth of the love of God that was shown us, that was given to us, that Christmas displayed. I love uh, the end of Romans chapter 8, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. He says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing! This love is so great, nothing can get in between you and God. When Jesus said, it is finished, it's finished. You're his. Third, for God so loved the world that he gave. His gift was the utmost proof. I read about a counselor meeting with a couple that were having marital trouble. And the husband said, I don't understand. I've given her everything. I've, I've given her a new car, a beautiful home. I've allowed her to go to the most expensive places to buy clothing and um, to do basically anything that I could afford. I've given her everything. And the wife looked at him and then looked at the counselor and said, you have given me everything but yourself. This is Christmas, guys. God gave us himself. Man, if that don't make you get Pentecostal, don't worry, I'm not going to get Pentecostal. I might hurt myself up here. Too much stuff. <laughs> but it should excite us. All right, uh, number four. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The word means one and only. It means unique. In the days of the Great Depression, there was a man from Missouri, John Griffith, who his job was to raise and to uh, close a drawbridge uh, that had a, a train would travel over and ships would pass through because it was over the, the Missouri River. And uh, he decided on this one particular day to take his eight-year-old son with him, uh, Greg. It was about noon. He took a break, had lunch together. He enjoyed being with his son. Time passed quickly, he didn't realize, until he heard the shriek of a train whistle in the distance. And then he began looking for his son, and he didn't see him. And then, to his horror, when he looked down into the mighty gears that were used to raise and lower the drawbridge. He saw his son, and his son somehow had managed to get his leg trapped in the gears. He thought, I, 
how can I save him? But there was not time. Even if he wanted to get down there, there's no guarantee. So he did all that he could do with the train carrying 450 people about to uh, come. He lowered the bridge with his son there. Here's um, a guy had written. He said, when John Griffith lifted his head with his face covered in tears, he looked into the passing windows of the train. There were businessmen casually reading their afternoon papers, finely dressed ladies in the dining car sipping coffee, children pushing long spoons into their ice cream. You can't see this. <laughs> okay. With wrenching agony, John Griffith cried and said as the cars went by, I sacrificed my son for you. How often do we, do we miss it? Do we forget what Christmas is? The great depth of love that was poured out for you and for me. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. All right, number five, that whosoever. This is the broadest invitation. I love the way that D.L. Moody used to say this. He said that mankind is divided into two parts, the whosoever wills and the whosoever wants. Are you one of the wills or the wants? We each have a decision to be made. And here's the scary thing. To make no decision is a decision. For God has done all that he can do to woo you and win you to a life of forgiveness and a new start and a new hope. But for any gift to be yours, you have to receive it. You have to open it for yourself. And so there is the greatest invitation here Whosoever, are you, are you a whosoever will or are you a whosoever won't? I pray that you are a whosoever will. Sixth, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him. This is the simplest response. Here's the beauty of it. God says believe. He says come. You say, well, I don't know how it all works. Well, it doesn't matter. Just believe. Place your confidence in me. That, that's the call. And it says in John chapter 1, verse 12, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So when we believe, we are told, we are informed that we are adopted into the very family of God. Do you ever feel lonely? Do you know that you're a relative of a king of kings and a lord of lords? If you know Christ, that's the greatest, the simplest and greatest response. Number seven, when we believe in him, we shall not perish. The greatest escape. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. It is a way of escape by believing in him. Uh, I'm going to read you these are words from a, a commentary. God does not condone our sin, nor does he compromise his standard. 
He does not ignore our rebellion, nor does he relax his demands. Rather than dismiss our sin, he assumes our sin and incredibly sentences himself. God's holiness is honored, our sin is punished in Christ, and we escape eternal condemnation. And then the last one, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The great gift forever. Man, this is just, you know, like one grain of sand at the beach. You know, I remember years ago hearing an example said, you know, you imagine eternity by a seagull taking one grain of sand from one beach all across the country to another beach. Of course, what's the problem with that? He's going back and forth, and there's always sand. There's always eternity. There's always time from everlasting to everlasting. That's the promise of what we have. I want to read to you, this is from Jack Hayford. He's right about symbols of Christmas, and this is the symbol of the Christmas tree. He says, probably the foremost symbol of the season is a Christmas tree, the symbol of a broken curse. There's significance in the traditional choice of the evergreen tree. It represents everlasting life. Imagine the center of this tree, stripped of its branches, a bare vertical trunk, then taking one of the larger lower branches, imagine creating a cross, The Christmas tree symbolizes everything that happens at the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the statement of eternal life. At the foot of the tree, we exchange gifts. The tree is ornamented and bed-decked with beauty. Why? Because it was on a tree that God hung his greatest gift to man and offered it to us. He calls us to the foot of the tree to receive that greatest of all gifts from him. It was on the tree where he bore the curse for us, the curse of death. The picture of the Savior bearing the curse for us is the essence of the concept of the Christmas tree. Instead of a barren tree, we have a beautiful, ornamented evergreen. Instead of a barren life and judgment upon us because of our sin, God has borne our sins on our behalf and decorated our lives with the beauty of his everlasting life. The exchange of gifts is not a surrender to commercialism, but a matter of saying that because of what he's given us, He's overflowed his love in our hearts to give to one another. You see, Christmas, God so loved the world he gave. And because he's given so much, there's some left that we can give to those around us. For those you may know uh, who are in Bedlam, that other word, Tell them about Christmas. Take some time to do that. And I'll make one more mention of something I was going to mention later, too. Uh, of course, we have, every year we have gift bags of uh, some candy and goodies and fruit and stuff out there. But we have another gift, too. This year we have a gift card. And what we are asking you to do is to share that gift card with somebody else. Tell them about what Christmas means to you. In, invite them to come worship with us here at Kingsway. But it is, you know, for us, it's just a, a, a small demonstration of, of saying we care about you that flows from the great care of God himself. That's Christmas. So anyway, uh, at the end of the, 
of the service encourage you uh, to do that, to take that gift card and, and share it with somebody else. So let me close with this song, and then we have our time of invitation. Christmas is the gift from heaven of God's Son given for free. If Christmas isn't found in your heart, you won't find it under the tree. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift. Are we a whosoever will or are we a whosoever need? May we straighten that out if it's not straight today. God, we just long for you to, to reveal yourself to us today, Lord. And in this time we call invitation, in this time that we call response. Holy Spirit, help each of us to respond to you the way you want. May this truly be a sacred time, Lord, a time to show worship to you, to offer ourselves as a gift. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you guys